brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at bbmglobalnetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Conversation Reimagined with neuroscience-based communication and leadership consultant, Dr. Andrea. Let Dr. Andrea help you to understand what is happening in the brain and body chemically, electromagnetically, mentally, and emotionally during conversations that impact how we converse and connect. So please welcome the host of Conversation Reimagined, Dr. Andrea. Hello, and welcome to Conversation Reimagined. The show that asks you to rethink the conversations you have every day and reimagine them into something more effective and meaningful. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and I investigate ways to have better conversations for better, better relationships in our professional lives and our personal lives. Thanks for tuning in. We're live on Bold Brave Media and iHeart.com. I have an obsession with neuroscience and how the brain and body function. I'm fascinated by what we learn from the realm of science that helps us understand ourselves and what we do, or don't. My problem is, I'm not so good with the don't. Neuroscientists must be speaking about somebody else, because surely they aren't speaking about me. My last guest, Kim Barthel, shared that I'm not alone in this struggle. I have an uncanny ability to sit for long periods of time and focus, or I believe I'm focused, pretending it's a good thing. I can knock out an incredible amount of productivity where others get up and do other things in between. Now we've learned that sitting is worse than smoking cigarettes for our health. Neuroscientist Serini Pillay would say, my hyperfocus depletes my brain's prefrontal cortex, the executive decision-making brain, which means I'm there but struggle to find another creative idea or the lights are on but no one's home. It's similar to those of you who cannot seem to put your technology down. Who am I kidding? I can't put my computer down. 
But I rationalize that I'm reading scientific research, not puttering away on social media. So my brain must prioritize the learning and make an exception, allowing me extra bandwidth. Unfocus sounds negative, but actually it helps sharpen our focus. Unfocus helps us relax and creates calmness and re-energizes our thinking. It keeps us from burnout. Unfocus provides long-term memory and retrieval. Unfocus reduces the fear and anxiety networks in our brain and the observing ego. Yes, that's an identified brain region, allowing us to get out of our own way. So I've seen the definitive science, yet just one more article, one more email, just one more research search. And really, I'm bewildered when I'm exhausted. My friend Todd used to lament that he didn't get his academic paper done because he was so engrossed in playing rocket pencil, launching his pencil into space like a Star Trek episode. Who knew he was onto something positive? I giggle at the language used by Dr. Amy Arnstein, a Yale neuroscientist and psychologist who says the brain's executive center behind the forehead has a built-in genie that causes it to weaken under stress. The image in my mind's eyes of TV reruns I watched as a child of I Dream of Genie, starring Barbara Eden and Larry Hagman. Perhaps you envision the genie from Disney's Aladdin, who was voiced by Robin Williams. Whichever genie you envision, causing brain weakening under stress, an exhausted, out to lunch, or offline brain is dangerous when we need strong mental processes. Many have struggled with focus while living through the pandemic. And three factors lead to the cutoff of our focus, which is our prefrontal cortex. The first, of that the pandemic is invisible. The second is that we lack control over it. And third, we're forced to go against our normal habits to protect ourselves. Non-acute, ongoing danger keeps us stuck in the primitive parts of our brain, affecting our ability to focus. Uncertainty is usually viewed by the brain as a negative. And like Chicken Little, we think the sky is falling. Turning off news and social media feeds lowers anxiety, yet our concentration still may not improve. Our current inability to focus is completely normal, and it may lead to a decline in motivation. But rather than beat yourself up, understand that this is normal neurobiology. It's evolution that's making us act this way. Are you over the advice that every article seems to give on how to live our lives? Dr. Amy Arnstein also finds that this advice is useful only if you have the bandwidth to try out those techniques. Having an answer and something to focus on does provide us with a sense of control and make uncertainty easier. Knowing our neurobiology is acting normally and showing kindness toward ourselves while unfocusing can reverse the brain damage caused by excess stress, anxiety, and worry. Yes, chronic mild stress may damage the brain. Almost 50% of the time, we're thinking about something other than what we're presently doing. The brain is out to lunch and the mind wanders 50% of the day anyway. So learning to intentionally wander with our mind meandering rather than resisting helps with unfocus. Hmm, perhaps I need to wander better and learn to wander better. A 2012 study entitled Inspired by Distraction, Mind Wandering Facilitates Creative Incubation, found those who allow 
undemanding, mind-wandering time are the most creative. So step away. We don't have to do nothing. We can do simple tasks that allow the mind to wander, facilitating creative problem solving. So Todd actually had it right all along with his rocket pencil Star Trek game. So do the dishes, organize a closet, line your books by height on a bookshelf, plan distraction time, or allow mental mind meandering and create space for aha moments. Dr. Pile also recommends doodling to override the conscious brain and allow the unconscious to find creative solutions. Doodling while listening helps us remember 30% more. Other suggestions are to nap, improvise with music, engage in a hobby, or walk in a circle. Literally, exploring out-of-the-box thinking, one study found a leisurely walk outside or freely pacing around may break our mindset. Even using your fingers, using your fingers to trace parallel and connected loops in the air, on your body, or on paper, also increases creativity, or so finds a Stanford study. Or return to your childhood with adult coloring books, allowing for unfocused and constructive daydreaming. Our sense of being in control diminishes with uncertainty, and yet we resist being unfocused because it can be disorienting. To help, much can be learned from the importance of play. Jack Pangsepp, was a neuroscientist, psychologist, and psychobiologist who discovered seven primary emotional processes that drive behavior in all mammals. We're born with these emotional processes, they don't require learning, and they're evaluative, meaning they allow us to understand when to approach or avoid for survival. Pengsep's primary emotional processes drive us to explore, fear dangerous situations, and care for our children and others. One of these primal emotional processes is play or social joy. Play functions to build our social brain so we know how to interact positively with others. Play helps us maintain our social well-being. Playing is how we connect. Not playing has serious consequences. We may look and act normal, but we're not as socially sophisticated and we're more liable to fight. Lack of play was found just as important as other factors in predicting criminal behavior among murderers in Texas prisons. And the evolutionary importance of play can be seen when denied the opportunity to play that leads to a deficient prefrontal cortex area responsible for emotional regulation and good judgment. Today, my guest is an expert on play. Dr. Egan Bo Ian Bogost is an expert on comparative literature, words, and game design as well. His last book, Play Anything, was published in 2016, though it may be more relevant now than ever. Perhaps it's holding clues to help us thrive through the murky waters of life during COVID-19. You're, you're listening to Conversation Reimagined, live on the Bold Brave Media and Spotify. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and if you'd like the quickest way to alleviate tension, anxiety, or stress, please reach out via my website and let's do some neurocoaching. My website is www.andrealuoma.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-L-U-O-M-A.com. We'll be right back. 
Dr. R.C. will share extraordinary resources and services that promote educational success as well as making a difference in the lives of all social workers as well as the lives of children, adolescents, and teens of today. She will have open discussions addressing many of the issues that we face about our youth and how being employed in the uniquely skilled profession of social work for over 18 years has taught invaluable lessons through her personal experiences. She will also provide real-life facts, examples, and personal stories that will confirm that why serving as a child advocate is extremely beneficial when addressing the needs of the whole child. Listen live Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network and tune in radio as Dr. R.C. will provide thought-provoking information that will empower, encourage, and strengthen students, families, and communities across our nation. You can also visit her at soarwithkatie.com. If you seek a courageous advocate, prepare to champion your rights with consumer service agencies that support aging populations, Carol Ann Hamilton is the one for you. Carol Ann is an elder care coach, author, and speaker with a quarter million hours lived experience successfully supporting unculpable aging parents. As a result of a challenging journey, Carol Ann revolutionizes how stressed out caregivers restore serenity to their worlds. She also brings over 25 years of change management expertise in Fortune 500 settings to catalyze urgent transformation within the elder care industry. Carol Ann is a popular speaker at conferences across North America. She has appeared via TV, radio, and print globally. Now you can tune in weekly to get a dose of her inspiration plus down-to-earth advice to cope with even the most difficult aging parents. Listen Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Welcome back to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and Spotify. Before the break, I expressed how unfocus and play may be an antidote to anxiety and stress. Today, I'm speaking with a Renaissance man, Dr. Ian Bagost. His resume alone shows that among his current departmental work at Georgia Tech, where he's distinguished chair in media studies, professor of interactive computing, of business, and of architecture. My initial thought for us was to connect our dual focus on words and his focus on play. Some of us don't play enough, some of us are too serious, and many of us are too anxious. With the unprecedented and uncertain times we're living in, Dr. Ian's focus on play will be invaluable to hear. Welcome, Dr. Bagost. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. You write in your recent book, Play Anything, that heroism permeates ordinary life in repetitions far smaller and weirder than the flow of the seasons and years, in morning coffee and daily commutes, in grocery shopping and in yard work. This passage made me think of the irony of us living during the pandemic that's eliminated people's compute, commutes and other tedious things that we would have grumbled about six months ago, and now we're missing. And you suggest we need to reorient our thinking about games. Will you elaborate? You know, I'm, I'm so glad, I was so glad to, to be invited to talk to you about, about the book, which is, of course, you know, it's four years old. It came out right in the midst of the last presidential election, a terrible time uh, to, to release a book. And, and, you know, I was afraid it was all going to get lost. And I've been so, uh, I've so much wished over the past few months as I've been at home and dealing with all this. It's like, oh, this should have been the year 
when absolutely when I this book. like this is the year I was I was too early exactly um, and and it's it's so funny you asked this question because I've actually seen some of my uh, my fans or readers or whatever uh, uh, say uh, you know because there are these examples about you know like pulling pulling espresso in my my lawn and so on that I use in the book and they they were saying you know I didn't quite get these examples at the time about how this 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 kind of onerous repetition of of ordinary tasks like that's where meaning lives that's where value and 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 and, and that's where one of most of our experiences end up coming from and so we better make the most of them i didn't really get that until now now that i'm stuck you know without all of the things that i thought were um the center of of meaning in my life you know work school what have you and now that i've been forced to look for them elsewhere now, now I get it, and and I think you can sort of see that in 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 some of the trends that people have taken up to try to not go crazy. Uh, you know, the 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 bread baking obsessions, or right. you know, the the I've been like nesting a lot a lot at home, which I was always kind of doing, but I've seen I've talked to others like, yeah, you know, I finally cleaned out that closet or did all this, I, I, and and you know, that that that. Um, constricted smaller world that we feel like that we that we feel like we live in where we're going fewer places and doing fewer things because there's no choice you, you're no longer sort of being a homebody or you know oh no i'm not going to go out today or oh, gosh i really have to go to work but i don't want to what's wrong with me or i managed to get all of that stuff has been stripped away and now we now it's kind of laid bare and we realize wow all of the stuff that i do every day that's kind of life. That's that's kind of where life happens. And if I let all that go by, and just just discern it as chaff, as the stuff that I have to get through in order that I can get on to the good stuff, what happens when there's no good stuff anymore, or when it's so 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 substantially changed that I can no longer invest my sense of self, of pleasure, of meaning, etc., in. Um, in my work, you know, in, in my writing and in, in my, whatever it is that you sort of did before that was, that was disrupted. Uh, so the, it's a great moment, I think, to, to learn this lesson again, uh, that, uh, that life happens everywhere all the time. And that mm. the more that you consider everything you experience as a potential place of deep meaning, then the more deep meaning you get. And, and, and conversely, if you if you perceive all of the sort of ordinary, repetitive daily life chores as just that, as chores, as, as things that are meant to be gotten through as quickly as possible in order that you can get onto the good stuff, that you you've missed out on, on a whole lot of good stuff that you weren't looking for in in the first place. Absolutely, I have a good friend who has decided that because it's so uncertain and difficult times right now that she said, I want you to play along with me and do the, you know, let's create a text list every day of three things that we're grateful for. And some of hers lately, she, she jokes with me and she's like, Oh man, there were a struggle to come up with three things I'm grateful for today. But, but they're really fun things that she comes up with. Like she'll say, you know, the morning sun on my face as I have my coffee or that I had iced coffee and it's the beginning of summer or, you know, the, these really simple things and you're right we took them for granted right and the morning sun was there the whole time mm-hmm. but you just didn't notice it was just like oh, whatever you know i've got things to do exactly I, i've definitely noticed that too and you know th- there was a time not that long ago even when people didn't didn't uh, stray very far from their homesteads you know you, right. you you just didn't go far from home because there was nothing to go to and you know maybe you were leading a subsistence life on your on your farm or or whatever it might be um but that didn't seem bad at the time it just was it, it mm-hmm. was 
what you what you did. And I've certainly noticed that, you know, walking around my neighborhood or whatever, which I do a lot now, all the things that were always there. Uh, and and me as someone who th- I, I, th- I think I'm I'm the kind of person who notices stuff and you know writes books about it and that kind of thing. But uh, but no, it, it's an exercise and a process. And unless you practice it uh, deeply, and unless you kind of stretch and extend yourself to 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 apply that attention to more and more things more and more deeply, uh, then it doesn't it doesn't grow. And, and, and I think all of us are you know we're involved in that in that exercise anew. It's it's kind of a uh, you know, a new, a new time, a new moment for, um, uh, for deep attention to, to ordinariness. Well, it's certainly, uh, something that we're almost being forced to learn in order to, to cope. And that's usually what it takes. I mean, you know, you yeah. have to be, maybe not forced, but at least, you know, uh, uh, coerced by, uh, by phenomena that you don't think you were choosing. And, and then you start to look at them, you start to look at them differently. It's it's like you know if you're if you're you're if you're pl- if you're, you're you're flying somewhere and your your plane is delayed, uh, when we used to fly, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's a point where you're you know, you're very agitated, like oh, I can't believe I'm going to miss the whatever I'm going to miss, and and then once you get through that, once you work through that kind of that kind of anger or boredom, then you realize you know what like this is just it. There's nothing like I'm just here on the tarmac and there is nothing I can do. And so you begin to accept that situation. And then within the situation, you start to look for, uh, for ways of making the, making the best of it. Right. And, you know, now we're kind of doing that, uh, everywhere all the time, everywhere all the time. Exactly. We need to take a short break. You're listening to conversation reimagined with today's guest, Dr. Ian Bagost, who is an author, award-winning game designer, faculty and distinguished chair at Georgia Tech. This is Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea. And if you seek the fastest way to resolve a problem or conflict or find balance for you or your team, I can help with NeuroCoach. Please reach out to me on my website at www.andrealuoma.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-L-U-O-M-A.com. We're live on Bold Brave Media and iHeart.com, and we'll be right back. Have you ever felt like no one is listening or you're not getting the honest attention you deserve? Do you even know the kind of attention you want or need? You are not alone. Alice Aspen March is here to help. Thanks to Alice, through her epiphany and research over the word attention, there are solutions to the attention dilemma. Worldwide audiences have been enthralled and engaged for over 40 years with her visionary and pioneering observations. The kind of attention we get and give is vital to improving our lives and society. Alice and her weekly guests review game-changing insights for transforming and improving our understanding of attention, providing techniques for creating healthier and empowering behavior. Get a new perspective on a mainstream word. Tune into Why Our Attention Matters for fresh and thought-provoking conversations every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on BoldBraveMedia.com and the TuneIn Radio app. Master of words, powerful player. What life-changing words can Dr. Janet Smith-Warfield pull out of her magical toolbox that just might mysteriously open a door you never knew was there? A door to free yourself from fear forever. 
transform your rage into right action, release your guilt, position you into a life of freedom, purpose, passion, power, and peace, all quite suddenly, unexpectedly, and almost miraculously, with no effort on your part. Join Dr. Janet every Monday at noon Eastern on Dancing with Words, Dancing with Wisdom on the BBM Global Network as she and her guests show you how words map our experiences, immersing you in a sound bath that relaxes your muscles, opens your mind, and supports you in co-creating your extraordinary life. Welcome back to Conversation Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and iHeart.com. If you'd like to call in, please dial 866-451-1451. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ian Begost, author and co-author of 10 books, including his latest, Play Anything, The Pleasure of Limits, The Uses of Boredom, and The Secret of Games. Dr. Ian, I remember thinking when I bought the book, um, that it's a good time to take a break and learn more about how and why we need to play. And I thought you'd touch on the importance of play, and yet the book goes well beyond that um, and brings out your extreme literary expertise as well. But how did the book come about? I mean, you, you give this great example of, a, of your daughter making a game at the shopping mall. Um, was it that? What, did, was she your inspiration, or did the story just tie us together for the right, book? Right, right. Right. Yeah. This anecdote uh, that, that I start the book with is just my, my then four year old uh, daughter kind of uh, doing a kind of uh, 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 don't step in the cracks game with the tiles at the at the mall, which, of course, is something we all know. And just how delighted that she was in that moment when I was not because I was just trying to get my errands done. And um, that happened a very long time ago. And, and I remember remarking on it at the time. But then in the in, in, in the intervening years, I had spent my career working on applications of games and simulations to politics and education, all, all these domains outside of, of entertainment. And all of that work was kind of about the content of like games as having content that could be serious, like politics or, or you know, uh, 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 climate change or, or what have you. And we, we made all sorts of games at the studio on this topic. And we even made a game about pandemic flu at, at one point. And, <laughs> oh, and that, ironic. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing kind of it's not that it went nowhere it's that it never really took off like you don't see people playing games instead of consuming news or nonfiction material in other formats and I was reflecting on on what went right and wrong in my uh, in my writing and uh, design career and I came back to that example and I thought you know maybe the problem maybe I've just been misconstruing the benefit of playing games maybe it's not about games as this this ability to, to, to communicate complex systems uh, because there's lots of moving parts and you can change the variables through play but it's about the experience of, of play itself maybe that's where the deep serious meaning uh, comes from uh, and, and that's what brought me back to that topic and, and then the, the rest of the book kind of uh, kind of came uh, came as a, re- as a result of that so you talk a lot in the book about meaning and how meaning has to come from within. And certainly we talked about that a bit in the last segment and how all of a sudden the morning sun on your face has much greater meaning now than it did, say, six months ago. Um, so we explain why this idea um, that meaning has to come from within might also be part of the problem. Yeah. So if, if you live your life thinking that you, your ability to find pleasure, meaning, value in things is all about how, how much t- 
time and effort you exert, how patient you are or uh, how much attention you bring or how much you listen or all of these sorts of things. It puts this enormous burden. It's just unfathomable, unfathomable burden on you. And anything that goes wrong is also uh, your fault because you weren't doing it well enough or you weren't there at the right time or you weren't good enough or you, you didn't listen well, whatever, whatever the case uh, might well, be. Well, I get tired of taking the high road all the time. And I yeah, have several and, friends that we talk about that. Why do I always have to be the one to take the high road? What about the other person? Right, and then you get angry and then you get huh? depressed about getting angry and then you get you <laughs> right. know, frustrated with yourself. Right. And so by, by putting all of this emphasis on the self as the source of, of where meaning, pleasure, value is supposed to come from, we're kind of driving ourselves mad. And if you just you just flip that on its head, it's an enormous relief because what you what it allows you to do is like like, like meaning is not in me. Um, I'm just here as this observer who can find meaning in other things. And then you look at the sun and it's just, oh, the sun is here. Well, what about that? And, and, and that reflection or that observation might lead you to action. And, you know, maybe there's not much you can do with the sun, but there is something. Oh, gosh, maybe I'd like to actually be out here seeing the sunrise uh, every morning. What would that take? Well, I'd have to know what time it happens and I have to track that and, and then I'll wake myself. And you have this kind of whole regime that emerges from it. And you may not choose to do that, but it's an example. And, and and because of that system, which has nothing to do with you, like the sun is going to rise without you. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have to make uh, as many choices anymore. And when you don't have to make any choices, it's easier for you to stop thinking that you're doing something wrong and to just sort of accept the situation that's uh, that's presented uh, before you. So this first step of, of like seeing seeing meaning as existing in other things, in, including other people, like, you know, when you have a friend being that person's friend is not about you really. It's about how well you can understand that other person and what their needs mm-hmm. and desires are and how well you meet them in that and so on. Um, when, when you start to exercise that muscle, then uh, then you can find it anywhere. And that's the other thing that's so relieving is you don't have to think that, well, there's, you know, there's only like five or six things that where, where, where uh, I can find interest in my life. Anything, you know, emptying the dishwasher suddenly becomes something uh, that, that can be interesting. And, um, and for me, it's just been an enormous relief. It's very hard to do. I mean, it still requires a lot of work, uh, but that work uh, allows you to not blame yourself uh, for it all the time. Mm-hmm. You also talk in the book about and have this whole perspective on irony and that it's become the currency of our age. And I think that um, this is an important thing for us to talk about right now. And I was fascinated by that. I was saddened by it. And I was also in agreement with it. Yeah. And then you also have this term irony. Yeah, Ironoia. Yeah. I know, Ironoia. Okay. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, so, okay, so, so like tell us more about that. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, for, for me, we, we live in this age uh, of irony. And irony used to mean, it's kind of a classical meaning, is uh, about saying the opposite of, of what you mean. And, and, and somehow, especially over the last 20 years or so, that has gotten shifted into I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to reveal whether I mean what I mean actually at all, whether I meant to say what I, what I meant. Um, and there's been a lot of critiques of this, this sort of idea that we live in this ironic culture where no one will be earnest about anything. They're just mm-hmm. kind of always cracking jokes all, all the time. And Well, isn't that political correctness too? Well, you know, it's related. It's related to to uh, to anything in which you're sort of very self conscious about what you say and why and why you say it. Um, but for me, there's a distinction here to be made between irony as a, a refusal to be earnest and irony as this sort of refusal to to re- to reveal whether you hate something or or love it. Right? You're kind of like holding it in this ooze, this suspension where you don't have to pass judgment on it. And because of that, you might at any time change your mind. You know, it's sort of like how um, you might get an invitation to go out. 
and you're like, well, I'm not going to act on that until the very last minute in case something better comes along. And th- that's kind of the, the sickness that we're living in, which is oh, where it's the, a complete sickness. Yeah. Yeah. That's why something better. So we don't make right. a decision. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So ironoia is like the equivalent of, of paranoia, but, but for, for anything whatsoever, not just about being like worried about someone turning on you, but, but that anything might, might turn in you and not just the person who invites you, but, um, you know, and be glad you're married. Thinking, okay. Right, because right. dating, forget it. Right, right, and this is this is completely pervaded um, all of lived experience uh, uh, today, and and it's all about like holding things at a distance, which is exactly the opposite of that experience of play, where you draw something close and you take it seriously for what it is, uh, rather than questioning whether there's anything to be taken seriously about it in the first place. Oh, I love that. I love that. We have to take a short break. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ian Bagost, whose video games about social and political issues cover topics as varied as airport security, consumer debt, disaffected workers, the petroleum industry, suburban errands, pandemic flu, and tort reform. See, I told you he was a Renaissance man. You can find out more about him at www.bogost.com. That's B-O-G-O-S-T.com. I'm your host of Conversation Reimagined, Dr. Andrea. And if you'd like for you or your team to increase mental fortitude and perform at peak, reach out to me at www.andreeluoma, that's andreeluoma.com. We'll be right back on the BBM Global Network and iHeart.com. Certified professional coach Pamela Reeves can help you with your relationships. Motivational and image coaching are just some of the ways she can help you enhance all aspects of your life. Her book, Is It Love or Merely a Sick Attachment, helps readers clearly distinguish healthy, loving relationships from toxic ones. Ms. Reeves has put her words into action through Ray of Hope Kenya, an international initiative that provides outreach to victims of abusive relationships there with the goal of helping them rebuild their lives and the tools to avoid abuse. Ms. Reeves operates various business interest through her umbrella network, Nella LLC, and credits her success to her diverse work experience. Whatever your goals, whether striking a balance, reinventing your image, or simply lifting your lifestyle, Pamela Reeves will help you achieve them. Your life, your call. Dial 410-902-5715 or email Pamela at pamrego one at verizon.net. She's also on the web at pamreeves.com and on Twitter at Pamela underscore Reeves. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, unlock your full potential with limitless growth. Published by iUniverse, Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them, rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and to in radio. Welcome back to Conversation Reimagined, the show that asks you to examine the words you use, way you use them, 
and to question your responsibility in conversation gone wrong. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on Bold Brave Media and iHeart.com. And if you'd like to call in, please dial 866-451-1451. Before the break, today's guest, Dr. Ian Bagost, and I were discussing his recent book called Play Anything. And what I loved and what certainly resonated with me, uh, Dr. Ian, are that words are certainly important to me. You just heard me say that um, due to their critical impact on relationships. And yet you, too, as a comparative literature expert, have a crucial focus on words. And when it comes to games, you identify how often we use the term fun incorrectly, particularly when we ask if someone had a good time by saying, did you have fun? And that's a great example of not paying attention to the importance of word choice. Will you elaborate? Yeah, yeah. So it's just so funny, because I work in games, and and the way that you judge a game's worth and value is whether it was fun or not, right? Was that a fun Mm game? Oh, you're playing a game. Is is it fun? Oh, yeah, it's fun. No, not much. But like, no one has any idea what what that means. It just turns out this is this really perverse English word. Only kind of really only exists in English. Fun. And really, um, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a word that it doesn't translate well. In 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 fact, into into other languages, which is a you know a big challenge. But. but the idea behind it, or the way that we use it, is is almost as a replacement for something else. Like when you know, when you say, "Did you, you know someone comes home from you know, your roommate or something, or your your kid from a night out?" And you're like, "Oh, how was your night? Did you have fun?" Yeah, yeah, that was fine. You know, it's like it's like it's like you're, it's like how are you? I'm fine. It's like this sort of phatic, what linguists call phatic communication, where you're not really using the words to get to their meaning, but just functionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you dig deeper into fun, you kind of try to figure out what it means. The, the word itself, it's related to to the fool, like the, the court jester, mm-hmm. uh, who, who does the things that no one else is allowed to do in the in the king's court uh, and can say things that no one else that no one else can say. And if you if you start thinking about fun that way as this, this kind of foolishness of like digging deeper into something uh, where no one else bothered to look, then, then you start to understand it. Uh, a, a little bit better, and so to me, what fun is is it's it's when you find novelty in familiarity, and and that's where the fun comes from. So when 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 someone has this feeling, oh, I had fun, it, it, I went out and I had a fun time. It's because you you did something that was very similar that you already knew, but even despite the fact that it was it was familiar, there was still something new that that erupted from that from that experience, and you know, and maybe it was like the new conversation about what's going on with your friends, or, or maybe it was the, you know, the, the new flavor of hot wings, or maybe it was just the fact that you got out of the house that particular day and the air smelled the way that it did. Uh, and when you start kind of thinking about it that way, um, then it gives you a much more precise understanding of, of what it feels like to have fun, which is kind of like the exhaust of the experiences uh, uh, that, we, that we pursue. And, and that allows you to, to pursue it a little, bit, a little bit more deliberately too. So, I like that. And I also like in the book, you use a, a phrase um, in this dissection of words and how we don't use words properly. And certainly someone with your comparative literature background certainly does, but most of us don't. And the phrase, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of these words. It, it, it's one of these words that at first, like the first time you, you tell someone, I love you, it's, it's extremely meaningful. And, you know, it's like a moment that you remember. Um, Millions and, of emotions. Right. Right. And, you know, it marks this sort of, this sort of declaration of a, of a, of a change in your commitment or affection. And we kind of all, we know what that means. But then later on, you know, later in a relationship or in a marriage or whatever, 
uh, I love you is like more like, how are you? I'm fine. It's like when you walk into a shop now, it's like, I love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything. You know. And, and, and it almost only has meaning when it gets withheld. Like you're, you know, you're, you're on the phone because you're, you're, you stayed out late or you're at the office longer than you said, and you know, you try to hang up and you say, I love you. And then your, your spouse or partner just says nothing. And then you kind of know you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, so, you know, that, that like functional use of words, um, it, it, it belies the fact that we, we sometimes use them without knowing what they mean. And, and the weird thing about my line of work and play and games is that it seems like, like every word that we use, we don't know what it means. We don't know what mm. fun means. We don't know what play means. We don't really know what games are. And if the folks who study and develop games, um, there's this huge dispute, an enormous argument about what the heck a game is, which, you know, really? novelists don't tend to have a dispute about what a, what, what a book is. You know? <laughs> right. Um, it's a codex. It's a, you know, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but yeah, and one of the reasons we do is that it, it, it it's just like such a weird, murky domain and, uh, and, and it connects to so many different aspects of human experience that, uh, that it's easy to, to mistake it or to, you know, to kind of like carve out one, one corner of the world of play. Like, you know, there's the version of play that's the opposite of work. Like there's, there's work and play. Um, and then there's, there's my version of play, which is that it's, it's about this deliberate manipulation or attention to a situation. And so in that context, you can play all day at work. That's, that's totally fine for me. In fact, that would be a better way for you to think about your work, but that, that understanding only, only works, only operates if you, um, if you stop understanding play as a thing that happens in this kind of like off time, like when you're not really doing anything productive uh, mm-hmm. uh, or useful. It's also why kids, like kids have no, um, have no problem talking about playing all the time. Like you want to go play and, and they don't even know what they're talking about. Right. They're just like, mm-hmm. well, play what? Like that doesn't even come up. They recognize, Oh no, this is a kind of a domain of action that is meaning, meaningful and valuable on its own. Uh, and, and, and that's a lesson worth, worth learning for adults for sure. Indeed. Indeed. We need to take a short break. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined on Bold Brave Media and iHeart.com. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, speaking with Dr. Ian Bagost. He's a prolific writer, author, and contributing editor at The Atlantic. And he's a professor and chair at Georgia Tech University. Find him at www.bogost.com. If you or someone on your team are seeking greater trust and cooperation or to regain your inner strength and self-reliance, I'd be honored to be your neuro coach. Reach out to me via my website at www.andrealuoma.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-L-U-O-M-A.com. We'll be right back. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the veteran's folk-style wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Network. 
Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality, but it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating? Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Uh, it's like a, a flow inside. Yeah, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined, live on the BBM Global Network and Spotify. If you'd like to call in, please dial 866-451-1451. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea, and I help people reimagine their conversations to have better relationships, smoother ease of working, greater efficiency, productivity, and better bottom line. Today's guest, Dr. Ian Bagost, is an expert in words, writing, game design, and play. Ian, let's talk about the concept. Well, let's talk about limitations first, because we were talking about words in the last segment and the importance of words, and we don't really know what a lot of things mean. Um, and limitations is an important concept um, for you and for yeah. play. So yeah. take it away. Yeah. So people think that they want to be able to do whatever they want in any particular situation. Like that, that is the, the default attitude. Like I, I want oh, to be able to do We wanted time do. right now, and now we've got it, and now we can't yeah. stand it. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're usually mistaken about that. And uh, and if you it's like a word like limitation or constraint, like those are usually bad words like, oh, like I don't want to be constrained. I don't want to be limited. I want to be able to do anything. Um, but in fact, the moment that you have constraints, you realize, wow, they're they're strangely liberating. It's it's like, a, you know, a, a kind of weird um, uh, a contradiction. So, if, you know, for example, if you tell, uh, you know, if your boss tells you, like, go write a report and you're like, OK, well, I guess like what what is that what, what do you want me to do you know it's, it's extremely irritating um, uh, but if he or she were to say uh, look we need to write a report about this about this particular client project we're working on and it needs to be five minutes you know five pages long or it needs to take five minutes to present and we need to get it done by Monday like suddenly you have you're armed with with all of the facilities that you need in order to actually do the work mm -hmm. uh, and that happens kind of in everything you know in everything you do so it's easy to say to think that what you want is to be unlimited Sky's the limit. Anything is possible. But in fact, what you want are structures around the time and experiences that you have that allow you to design and then to encounter them in, in ways that, that, that can uh, uh, produce meaning. Uh, and, and that's what games are, really. It's, it's there these these sort of the limited, constrained structures that tell you, oh, just like arbitrarily, this is how the game works. Like you have to kick the ball, but only, you know, only with your feet and not touch it with your hands. It's completely arbitrary. But all of the meaning in soccer comes from that arbitrariness. Uh, and that's and that's true of play uh, of any kind. It comes from imposing limits and then working within those limits. Mm. That's probably a pretty fascinating and different way of thinking about that for a lot of people. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite counterintuitive because you think uh -huh. of play as being being able to do whatever you want. But in fact, right. no, it's it's not that at all. It's it's being able to do a very certain thing and then to discover what it feels like to work within those boundaries. 
Well, and if you think back to when you were a kid, you know, if, to, if one minute we're being superheroes and the next minute we're, um, yeah. you know, playing in the pool, we're, we're limited. You're Kids right. are so good at that. They can just move minute to minute. Oh, now you do this. Oh, you can't stand here, right? The floor is mm-hmm. lava. That, those sorts of attitudes mm-hmm. are uh, the intuitive sense that, oh, no, we need more limitations in order to find meaning in our experience. But, of course, they're not, they're not thinking about it like that. And then somehow we lose, we lose all that capacity as adults at some point. Right. Right. And yet we're trying to bring back sort of this game idea as adults. And what I'm talking about here referring to is the idea of gamification. And we're certainly seeing this in the workplace more and more. And I've heard you say that gamification is for duping people who don't know any better. And for Mm -hmm. me, what came to mind is Disney's gamification of their laundry system that displays real-time statistics about each worker's productivity on a public leaderboard and the slowest workers names are coded in red and the laundry machines indicate when they're underperforming and the the bottom line is a terrible system and it's been nicknamed the electronic whip um and it's created bitter fighting amongst workers and a huge increase in on-the-job injuries so What's your perspective on this idea of gamification for the workplace or employees? So the weird thing about games is that, you know, people know they're extremely powerful because folks who play games, they'll like sit down for for hours and hours and just, you know, tap at Candy Crush or or, or whatever. Uh, So there's this enormous power. People know there's a power in games, but they don't tend to understand what that power is. Mm -hmm. And gamification arose from a, a kind of mistaken interpretation uh, of, of the power of games to get people to, to do things like can we just bottle that and then like shake it on our employees so they're more mm-hmm. productive that, that's sort of the idea of gamification um, but the problem is that the thing about games that is motivating is not like a, having a leaderboard or something or scoring your your workers and how fast they, they operate and like, that's just perverse what's what's meaningful and, and and motivating about games is being immersed in this this weird set of arbitrary limitations like we just talked about and and f- discovering like wow when i treat those as an as a thing that makes sense as a thing that's reasonable then i find a surprising amount of delight and pleasure in it so instead of gamifying your business by like kind of kind of uh, slathering this this sugar coating on the top of it and assuming that that'll make it taste better there's this like chocolate covered broccoli uh, <laughs> idea in, in educational technology and that's what it amounts to and it's just gross right no one wants mm-hmm chocolate on their broccoli, actually. Um, Instead of doing that, the the way to design a workplace or whatever is to make the work deeply meaningful. Like if you're doing the laundry, then well, how how can you make it so that everyone can do their their job in a way that they understand, in which they don't get hurt or injured, in which they're they're respected and they respect others, which it makes sense that they're being asked to do the tasks they're doing. Um, That's where, where, uh, you know, a kind of extremely productive environment uh, would arise from, which is exactly the opposite uh, of trying to like add all this garbage on top of it that will supposedly uh, make it feel better. But it's much harder, of course, to, to design the, the work that you do such that it becomes play in a way that, that you can find meaning in it for what it is uh, than it is to uh, to instrument the thing and then uh, and then use it as a, uh, you know, as a kind of um, you know, uh, a whipping post, right? Where you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, uh, you're punishing people if they're not, uh, if they're not doing the arbitrary things that you think are, are, uh, most desirable. Absolutely. So caution to the corporations on gamification. We need to take a short break. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined, where I've been speaking with Dr. Ian Begost, author of Play Anything, The Pleasure of Limits, The Uses of Boredom, and The Secret of Games, and nine other books and hundreds of articles. Find him at www.bogost.com. 
I'm your host of Conversation Reimagined, Dr. Andrea, and we're live on the BBM Global Network and Spotify. If you or someone on your team needs assistance in regulating mood, enhancing cognitive performance, or achieving laser focus, I'd love to work with you as your neuro coach. Please reach out at www.andrealuoma.com. We'll be right back and revisit where we've been today. MJ Domit is the owner of Expect to be Empowered, a company whose specialty is empowering people to live their best life by following their heart and accepting themselves unconditionally. After studying and making personal changes, MJ now focuses on giving others tools for self-empowerment. She provides individual and group workshops for people who are physically, emotionally, and spiritually blocked. Inspired by her work at Expect to be Empowered, MJ authored the book Waves of Blue Light, Heal the Heart and Free the Soul with accompanying empowerment cards. She is a Spirit Book of the Year Gold Medal Living Now Book Award winner. And her book is a number one Amazon bestseller in spirituality and was a 2012 gold medal winner recognized as the Living Now Spirit Book of the Year. An inspirational speaker, MJ will show you how you can repurpose every area of your life. Your life did not just happen to you. You chose it, which means you can change it. Visit www.expecttobeempowered.com or call 866-264-8024. Welcome back. We're live on the BBM Global Network and Spotify. You're listening to Conversation Reimagined, the show that provides you with tools and tips for having better conversations to have better relationships. Today, my guest, Dr. Ian Bagost, is an author and award-winning game designer. He's on the faculty at Georgia Tech University in business, architecture, interactive computing, and is distinguished chair in media studies. He's an expert in play, and he's a modern-day renaissance man. Thank you, Ian, for sharing this time on Conversation Reimagined. It's been so fun. Thank you. So one of my favorite statements in your book is, we don't play in order to distract ourselves from the world, but in order to partake in it. Will you elaborate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, part of it's related to that play work dichotomy. The people mistakenly think that there, there's the things you have to do or you should do, and then there's everything else, and the everything else is the play space. When in fact, everything whatsoever is is a play space. It's where you, it's it's how you engage with it and how you find meaning. But like right now, in in the midst of this um, this pandemic and and the the lockdown and everything, I see a lot of people kind of just you know, becoming um, kind of arrested in it. You know, like, when is this going to be over? Like, I'm so tired of being stuck at home or having to work this way or having to be in the house with my family, whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And I understand that, and I certainly feel it, too. But there's a there's a reality to our situation, and facing that reality is is a way to, to move through it. Like, like it or not, this is this is what's happening. This is life right now. And maybe right. this is going to be over next month and maybe it's going to be over next year and maybe it's going to be terrifyingly even longer than that, which is mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the longer you wait to engage with this new reality and to, and to treat it as real uh, and as a place where you still live and where you have to somehow get by, uh, then the more of that time that you're going to miss. And, and when you look back on that later, you'll regret it. I'm sure of it. So, Absolutely. you know, th- this attitude of play is, is one of, of acceptance and of openness um, 
to the outside to, to things that that seem stupid even you know like there's something kind of dumb about games there's like something ridiculous about them and that's why we love them and so if you if you hold on to that sense that that um, that feeling like something is 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 kind of idiotic and maybe you feel foolish that's a great sign that's a sign that you're starting to get there and then just push further into that feeling and try it again and eventually it kind of opens it kind of opens up to you it, it shows you its secrets I love that I love that any other tips you have on how we actually accomplish this yeah i mean it's just the trick is just to to exercise it to do it all the time like nothing can't be played with uh and you know everything that you look at just just try to try to act like a little sort of you know fantastic about it like you know hold it in your hands and turn it around and 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 what else can it do what haven't you seen how can you try to use it differently um, or at a different time or in a different way, you know, whether it's your toaster or your relationship with your spouse or uh, or your, your yard or uh, your, your block, whatever it is, just start asking those questions of it and, and looking for them. And uh, and sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. Uh, but if you do it enough, then you, you develop the 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 ability to, to, to see the opportunity for play in anything. Oh, that brings me back to um, when I've done workshops on creativity or even when I was teaching, I would put a big black dot on a white piece of paper um, and ask people what it was. And you'd get like two or three or four answers. Yeah. And yet yeah. if you asked a bunch of five-year-olds, you'd get a thousand answers all right. within the first 30 seconds. Right. They're not, they're not self-censoring. They're, they're open to it. Right. Right. Ian, this has been great. Thank you so much for Thank spending you. time on Conversation Reimagined. Dr. Ian Bogost can be found at www.bogost.com. His latest and 10th book is Play Anything, The Pleasure of Limits and Uses of Borden and The Secret of Games. Listeners, thank you for sharing your time on Bold Braid Media, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. There are multiple ways to work with me one-on-one, or in a group neurocoach session with topics identified by an organizational leader or self-identified. I also provide neuroleadership training designed for or with you, tailored to the specific needs of your organization. Reach out to me on my website at www.andrealuoma.com. And lastly, thank you listeners for sharing your time on Conversation Reimagined. And until next time, please remember, with every conversation, verbal, intentional, conscious or not, you pull others toward you or you push them away. You've been listening to Conversation Reimagined with host Dr. Andrea. Listen live as Dr. Andrea will explore methods to think about conversations differently or for how to behave in order to have better relationship outcomes. Gain insights, tools, and tips for having better conversations to have better relationships with Dr. Andrea. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.